So, I've got a theory about Donald Trump. Uh, we've been watching him. He's been president for a year now. Um, sky's still blue. The grass is still green. The end is not yet. Um, and we've been watching him for his presidency, and we were watch- also watching him through the general campaign and before that uh, in the primaries. And I think it's safe to say that every, every Christian with an ounce of spiritual discernment sees that that Donald Trump in his personal interactions is self-promoting, uh, boastful, vain, thin-skinned, um, petty, uh, manipulative, etc. So, uh, and this is what gives uh, the people who are, uh, who describe themselves as being in the never Trump category. Uh, and I'll just, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to include fastidious, fake conservatives. Uh, I'm not talking about fastidious country club fake conservatives, um, but I'm talking you know genuine principled conservatives who um, just think and who who believe that um, demeanor and statesmanship and and uh, character uh, matter, and I understand why people like that would be in the never never Trump. Um, camp because they say, look, we can't say character matters when we're talking about Bill Clinton and say, oh, never mind if we're talking about uh, Donald Trump. So uh, before before I go on, I should say that I I opposed uh, Donald Trump's um, quest for the nomination throughout the primaries, uh, uh, supported um, somebody else throughout the primaries. And once he secured the nomination, I uh, voted for someone, I, I wrote in someone else. I did not vote for Trump. So what I'm giving you here is a theory about Trump as a as an amateur sociologist, as an observer, as someone who's watching the human condition and watching this play out, and wanting to connect it with what I th- what I think the Bible teaches about God and God's ways. So I'm um, I'm not uh, I'm not carrying water uh, for. Uh, I'm not vouching for Trump's godliness. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm just, I'm just watching. Having said all that, all of the, all of the turmoil, and what appears to be uh, Trump's deliberate trolling of the Washington establishment. Not only um, uh, Donald Trump appears to have decided not to drain the swamp, but he's he, he wanted before he drains it, he wants to troll it first. He wants to get all the critters jumping in the swamp first. He wants them splashing around and making a lot of noise before he drains the swamp. So he he picks fight after fight after fight and um, experienced Washington obs- Washington observers say, well, he sh- you know, he shouldn't have done that. Why did he do that? This is this is causing uh, great commotion. What did he do? Th- what did he do that for? So all of that's true. At the same time, as I'm watching what happened over this last year in terms of um, uh, regulatory reform, the scaling back of overweening federal regulations uh, at places like the EPA, when you look at the uh, cutting, of, cutting of taxes, which is in effect to get between the hogs and the bucket, when you look at the conservative jurists that he's appointing to courts at a record speed, and and the appointment to the Supreme Court in uh, Neil Gorsuch. If you look at if you look at the track record, if you just didn't didn't uh, 
follow him on Twitter and didn't watch any of the news and just had someone send you notice when a judge was appointed or this, you know, um, when these regulations are abolished, I would be hard-pressed to remember a time when more conservative policy objectives applauded by conservatives uh, were accomplished. So a, a lot is being done. At the same time, water doesn't rise above its own level, and you look at the man doing it and look at at what many people would co- consider to be his character deficiencies. And incidentally, I'm not saying that everything, uh, there are some things that uh, are called character deficiencies that aren't necessarily that at all. But I think it's undeniable that he's doing things that um, would not get him awarded the position of Sunday school superintendent. That's not, um, you're not going to make him an elder in your church. There's, it's not that kind of thing. And at the same time, you look over at the, at the policy outcomes and you say, why is all this good stuff happening? Doesn't the Bible say that, um, that you can't get fresh water out of a brackish spring? And doesn't Jesus say that you can't pick figs off of a, a bramble bush or, or words to that effect? It, wh- how, can we, how can all this good stuff be happening when the font of it, when the source of it appears to be so out of control? What's, what's going on? Well, here's where my theory comes in. And I advance it tentatively. I am not, uh, this is not something I'm willing to go to the stake for. I am not, uh, uh, I'm not propounding it as a, as a dogma. This is just a theory. Um, I believe that God is being very kind to us on the merits. I believe that God is being very kind to our country in rolling back uh the Obama encroachments and and many of the encroachments from decades before. Um, I believe that God is being kind to us and we are being given all kinds of relief, all kinds of breathing room, um, more opportunity to um, mobilize in such a way as to sustain um, this sheer gift that that, uh, nobody was expecting. I certainly was not expecting it. So on the one hand, we're, um, we're getting this gift. And on the other hand, it's happening in such a bizarre way that one could argue, and here's where my theory comes in, one could argue that God is doing it this way so that no one can boast. God is being kind to us, and he is being kind to us in such a way that nobody wants to, t- <laughs> nobody wants to take credit for it. So if you had someone, um, uh, let's say all of these things were being accomplished by um, someone like Ronald Reagan, who was genial, affable, uh, quick-witted, great sense of humor, um, likable, even if you were a, uh, a political opponent of, of his, he was, um, was likable. He'd, he'd, now, there were people who went nuts over Reagan also. Um, but it's as though, uh, uh, and they and they would play hardball with Reagan. But then you look at that compared to George W. Bush, and you saw the left starting to have what um, you might call early onset derangement syndrome, 
So when the the opponent, so when I look at George W. Bush and I'd see a moderately conservative, kind of squishy conservative guy, um, and the left went nuts in the derangement syndrome, like this is the this is the um, apotheosis of a right wing dictator. I think, man, what are you doing? And then uh, it's the the real apotheosis of this derange of of this is. Um, is seen in how they're reacting to Trump. Uh, this is happening in such a way, and, and then a lot of people on the other side, on the right, in, among the Republicans, um, they, they don't react in the same deranged way, but they, they see what the people are reacting to. They see why Trump is catnip to them. And so they keep their distance, which means that uh, nobody is pushing to the front, or very few people are pushing to the front in order to take credit for these things. If if someone like Reagan were doing this, there'd be all kinds of people jockeying for the spotlight. Um, and they would want to have their name in, in lights. They would want to take credit for it. They would want to say, look at us and our new conser- our new conservative movement. Look at us. Is this, is this not great Babylon that I have built? We would take credit for it. And I think that God is being kind to us in a way that is going to keep... Um, spotlight grabbers, spotlight grabbing at an absolute minimum. Um, <laughs> there are not a lot of people clamoring to get um, uh, close association with Trump on their resume. People are thinking, man, this too will pass. At some point, this is going to be like a, the national nightmare is over. We're going to blink and look up and, and someone else is going to be president. If it is, uh, if the next president is a leftist, then whether it's a, the next president in 2020 or 2024, uh, uh, if the next president is a leftist, then they are going to have an awful lot to undo, and, and we're going to be in a much better position to face that than we than we were uh, had Hillary been elected. If the next president is a um, modest, very predictable conservative type uh, like Mike Pence, Um, if we have that for our next president, then he's going to be way farther down the road than uh, anybody could possibly have imagined. And this is all going to be something that we can just look at and thank God for. uh, Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw this... uh, as being the way that God was going to decide to do it. So, there you go. That's my theory. It's God's grace. Okay, episode 28, book review time. What I want to do um, in this uh, segment is uh, talk a little bit about uh, The Unseen Realm by by Michael Heiser. Um, He also has another book uh, along the same lines called uh, Reversing Herman. I think the unseen realm is is better than reversing Herman. Reversing Herman seems a little bit like uh, some of his lecture notes got published a little too soon in the editorial process. I think there's there's some disjointed. There's a lot of good material there, but I, there's a little bit of uh, disjointedness that's um, that's that doesn't is not that is not in much in evidence uh, in the unseen realm. Basically, what the unseen realm is about. Is an, it's an introduction 
at a lay level um, for um, uh, to the whole idea of um, the Council of the Gods and the ancient um, cosmology. So, if you if you are a Bible believing Christian and you read your Bible faithfully, uh, you're going to at some point you're going to start noticing things that don't fit in with a modern view of what is likely to happen in the world. So I'm and I'm not here talking about um, the miracle, you know, miracles like although that's part of it too, but. Miracles like the resurrection or Jesus turning water to wine or Jesus walking on the water or the miracles uh, that happened in the Old Testament. Though, uh, conservative evangelical believers are aware that to accept the Bible as the Word of God means accepting the miraculous, and that means accepting God as one who intervenes in human affairs, and he intervenes in human affairs by means of nature miracles and by means of... Um, uh, healing miracles and whatnot—that's that's a given. But what's har- harder for us are the the things that are farther in the background, um, the uh, the principalities and powers, the things that go bump in the night, the uh, angelic forces that that back um, pagan empires, or the council of the angels, the council of Elohim, uh, the council of the gods, Elohim, uh, where. God himself presides and where Satan appears at the beginning of the book of Job, uh, that cosmological structure um, is alien to us. We have um, uh, another good book, actually a good book to read uh, together uh, with high, if you're, if you're new to cos- cosmological questions, um, I would urge you to read C.S. Lewis's discarded image um, which is his treatment of medieval and ancient cosmology, and then if you don't have time for that, that's a kind of kind of a, a weighty book to get through. Uh, there is a um, an essay length treatment of the same thing in his book uh, Studies in Medieval and Renaissance Literature, where he um, it's a synopsis of the discarded image. If you read the Unseen Realm and Discarded Image together. You'd, be, you'd become aware of many different things uh, in the scriptures that, that aren't in the same category as Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, oh, a good example would be the stars. Um, it doesn't, doesn't say that the stars sang to the shepherds, although I believe they did, but they came down and announced the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds and, and to their sheep. And... Uh, or the Magi who, who uh, followed the star from the east and, and showed up to present gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, to the Lord Jesus. Uh, well, are these Zoroastrian astrologers? They're not Hebrews. They're not, they're not part of God's covenant people, and they learned of the birth of the Messiah through their observation of the night sky. Uh, what's going on? Is there something to astrology? It's that kind of thing. So, is there something to astrology? Is there? Um, what's the? Wh- what are the principalities, powers, thrones, uh, dominions, and, and uh, dominations, etc.? Uh, what role do they have? So, Michael Heiser um, breaks, uh, go- goes into the text, and does a fantastic job of 
showing what the Bible actually is talking about when it alludes to these things. Uh, and this approach is good. If, you, if, you ha- if you're someone who respects the authority of the Word of God and you just simply accept the authority of the Word, Heiser shows how um, uh, this is simply taught, assumed um, in, in the Scripture. And you're going to have a, uh, a lot better understanding of what's running in the background cosmologically when uh, you're looking, you're, if you're reading the story on the surface, you know, David and Goliath and Saul and, and David's sons, that's, that's the historical story on the surface. But there's other stuff running in the background. So as when, when David um, goes to the threshing floor and offers a sacrifice to, to avert the plague, um, that, that kind of thing oftentimes brings us up short. And, um, and so uh, I commend Michael Heiser to you. I think this is a, 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 great, uh, a great book. He also has, uh, I think, um, I didn't look this up, but he, he also has a synopsis treatment of the unseen realm. I think it's called Supernatural. Uh, if you want to get that, it's more, it's more accessible, more, more readable, covers the same basic uh, material. So Michael Heiser, oh, oh, one other thing I should say. There is one chapter early on in the unseen realm that gets into, uh, I regard it as a pretty amateurish treatment of the issues surrounding uh, Calvinism, uh, the providence of God, the the sovereignty of God. So all my commendations of this book, just try to forget I said any of that during that chapter. Either read long enough to find out that is that chapter and then skip over it or or read through it, uh, realizing that I'm I hold that chapter at arm's length, but the rest of the book is stupendous. So then, martyology, here we come. Uh, The word unclean is a translation from the word akathartos, akathartos. The overwhelming number of times the word is used in the New Testament, it is used to describe the unclean spirits that Jesus would cast out. You see that in Matthew 10.1, Mark 1.23, Luke 4.33, and many others. Uh, before moving on from that, let me just mention that when Jesus um, cast out a deaf and dumb spirit, how was, the, what, how was the presence of that spirit possessing that person manifested? Well, a deaf and dumb spirit would be one that made the possessed deaf and dumb. Um, a, and I would argue that an unclean spirit is uh, the kind of spirit that would cause the possessed to live in squalor, like like the like the man who lived in the in the tombs in the in the um, in the gathering swine episode. So um, this word akathartos uh, is used several times in Acts this way, and also in the book of Revelation. But in the book of Acts, it is used to describe the unclean animals that were shown to Peter as emblematic of the Gentiles. That's in Acts 10.14 and uh, 10.28 and Acts 11.8. And these unclean animals were now to be accepted as clean. It's also interesting, if I could note in passing, that Peter uh, denied the Lord three times um, in the Lord's trial, but also Peter says no to the Lord three, three times in this vision of the unclean animals being lowered uh, to him. 
that was something that Peter apparently needed to work on. The words, and when Peter um, rebukes the Lord he, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, um, and he says two words that don't really go together, uh, and they are, no, Lord, uh, no, Lord, no, no. In 1 Corinthians 7.14, Paul uses the word to describe the condition of children when both parents are non-believers. If both parents are non-believers, then the children are unclean. He also describes pagan idolatry this way, telling the Corinthians to come out from the idolatry of the pagans, not touching the unclean thing. 2 Corinthians 6.17 And then last, he tells us in Ephesians 5.5 that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So while it is clear that this is describing moral uncleanness, we should not eliminate the consideration of physical filth. When Jesus cast out deaf and dumb spirits, he's casting out spirits that made the possessed person deaf and dumb. We should at least consider this as a possibility with unclean spirits as well people who live in absolute physical squalor and uh, absolute physical squalor and filth have a, a serious spiritual problem as well it's not just a tidiness problem it's a spiritual problem and this uh, all of it goes together with moral uncleanness god in the time of the sickness god in the dark you've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor douglas wilson this podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.